Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. We have so many guests on this show making a difference in our lives, making a difference all around the world with the expertise that they bring. And yet so many of you are reaching out to me saying, you want more. It's not enough, just what we're putting on these podcast episodes for you. And so I am here to extend a very warm welcome to you to our Difference Maker community where you can join for as little as $5 a month to get all this extra content out the gate. You're going to get 30 plus mini-sodes of exclusive content not available for the regular podcast listeners and an exclusive mini-sode every month. And you'll get exclusive voting power to help us pick podcast topics and more. And that's with our changers tier. There's three different main tiers and then an extra uh, larger tier. But whatever tier that you join at, you will be included in this extra content. And I know that many of you are wanting to go a little bit deeper. And so even though it gets a little wild in there sometimes because of how deep we go, I want you to join us there. This extra content is very special. It means a great deal to me to be a part of this community with you. And I would love to just exchange uh, ideas or perspectives that you have around these different episodes. And that's the place where we do it. So please show up to our Difference Maker community. Give us $5 out of your pocket every month. And I think that you'll have a lot of fun in there because we do. And I would love for you to join us. So go to patreon.com slash a world of difference to join us there. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I'm Lori Adams Brown, and this is a podcast for those who are different and want to make a difference. Our guest on today's show is Jenny Booth Potter who is a creative producer, storyteller, and co-host of The Next Question, a web series about expanding our imagination for racial justice. She's on the show today talking about her new book, Doing Nothing is No Longer an Option, One Woman's Journey into Everyday Anti-Racism. Jenny has co-led racial justice trainings across the country in the U.S. for churches and organizations and is a founding partner of Herself Media, an organization that aims to create stories that empower and bring joy to black women. Jenny and her husband make their home outside of Chicago with their two boys and one wild puppy. (laughs) We are so excited to welcome to today's show, Jenny Booth Potter. Jenny, a very warm welcome to the A World of Difference podcast today. Thanks, Lori. I'm really excited to be here and looking forward to our conversation. I am too. So you're there in Chicago and we're recording this on November 9th and yesterday was a really big day. We don't know all the results, but tell us how your day went yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So my day yesterday was um, was full. I actually served as an election judge about 10 minutes from my house. So, uh, the night before the polls opened, I got to our little, it was at like a apartment complex rec room. Like that was, that was the polling place and got there and set up and met the other judges. And then the day was just slammed. We had such a great turnout. It was my first time working, um, on an election, like in that capacity. And, Everyone else that was with me had, this was not their first rodeo. And so they were commenting on how many people, you know, that really felt like record turnout. And it was just, it was just exciting. It it felt, uh, it felt like a really, um, looking back, it felt like a wise place to be because I couldn't really be on my phone. I had to be like serving people as they were attempting to vote and that just felt like, yeah, just it felt like I was putting my body where my beliefs are that I want people to be able to show up and choose people to represent them well and to be respected as they do that and to be honored as they do that. And 
Uh, so yeah, there were a few like ruffled feathers throughout the day. <laughs> Different things didn't work, but overall it was a really, it was a really beautiful day, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in Illinois and we had some, um, we had some exciting results in our area that are kind of boosting me this morning of giving me a little hope for, we have, um, an Illinois state Senator who is the, she's 23 year old, three years old. I read um, that. She's a Muslim woman. Yes. Yes. She's the youngest to ever serve. Yes. So that's my, like we had, us. we got to vote for her. And wow. so that was really exciting and just like, yeah, this, I, I, I want to, I want to be represented by this woman and I get to, so. Yeah. That's so exciting. I actually read that news to my oldest. Um, I have an adult son who's 18 and I read it to him this morning. Okay. I was like, Gen Z, they're making it into the <laughs> levels of government. He was just so excited. There was, I guess, a 25 year old somewhere that's going to be in the Congress. I saw. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're getting I think he's in Florida. Florida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's, it's exciting. New generation coming up. I'm excited to see, you know, these kids in the United States lived through Sandy Hook and Parkland. And, you know, I think so many things they've gone through COVID and their generation that has marked them. I'm interesting to see, I'm interested to see how they, not only how they vote, which my son was able to vote for the first time um, with me oh, yesterday, cool. which is fun for us. I feel like I've voted on his behalf for years, policies that affect him. Even when I lived overseas, I have <clears throat> my kids in mind when it comes to education, pro, you know, policies and all kinds of things that affect the younger generation, but now their own voice can be heard. And it's exciting. It was exciting mm -hmm. to vote with my son and he was excited to, you know, be asked what his opinion was, which is pretty cool. So I'm glad you did that. And your book is all about action. So I'm sure that felt really good to do something. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, yes, it did. It did feel like, yeah, putting, putting, yeah, putting my beliefs into practice, which I think is, vital, right? Otherwise, like if we have beliefs and they don't, I mean, that's like biblical, right? Like that's like what we're, we're talking about, this idea of if you have like love, but you have no, yeah, if you have no action, like what, what, what's really backing up your words? Like, so, so yeah, it really did feel, yes. I know you just gave me a segue to my book. Yes. The title of my book is doing nothing. It's no longer an <laughs> option. It, yeah. And so, yes. So I kind of do really look at the lens of the world through, through those words of like, okay, I obviously cannot control the results of the entire midterm election, but I can yeah. show up at my local polling place and try to be a, a representative and an advocate for justice and equity and equality um, by making sure that people, you know, especially people of color that were coming to my polling station were respected and were believed that, you know, they, they are who they say they are just all, you know, you hear terrible stories of yeah. discrimination at the polls. And so it felt like a very ordinary, I don't want to say easy because it was like eight hours of training before I went and it, like, it was like a lot. But yeah. in the scheme of things, it's a really easy, low stakes way to to be practicing what I believe. And yeah. and that yeah, that really is the heartbeat of what my book is about. Yeah, totally. You know, my Twitter feed was full this morning of people just talking about their experience yesterday, waiting in long lines. You know, I guess they're saying if you wait longer than ten minutes like that, you know, it feels like that's not acceptable because people work and we don't have a week to vote, we just have a day. And so, and right. then, you know, there's the whole way it's district and certain areas, like if there's a bunch of white people in an area and it feels more kind of like a certain kind of demographic, they're probably going to have an easier mm -hmm. time. And then people yep. in other types of communities that might vote differently have these really long waits. And so it's not equitable. I mean, here in California, it's so easy. We have, we're one of the states, I think there's what, like eight states where they just automatically mail the mm -hmm. ballots to all the registered voters. So we, it's so easy for us. Um, you could have mailed it in way ahead of time, but my, my son and I wanted to like do it on the day because it's his first time. And so fill it all out the night before and then just walked in. There was no line at this little box. You just put it in, you know, and it's yeah. like all official. But I know everywhere isn't like that. And that is part of the racism in our country. So help us understand a little bit about that for those maybe overseas who don't understand it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... Um... 
gosh, you can't really talk about America accurately without talking about like, you know, if you want to talk about origin story, our origin story is seeped in, in racial injustice yeah. and in racism. Um, whether it be literally like the people groups that we displaced or just full on executed to people from African descent who were brought over here, forced to work against their will, dehumanized for hundreds of years while equity, not equity, I'm sorry, well, money, <laughs> like, well, financial equity is built up for um, for the white people and a white supremacy is seeping in that because, you know, slavery benefited anyone who was white and it benefited most, least percentage wise, it like benefited people financially. Like there's like, it's not like every person that was living in the South had enough money to like own other people as property, but by the creation of slavery, they were able to have other jobs that were perpetuating that system and that institution. Um, I mean, the whole idea of race as like a construct was introduced because we've always had slavery throughout history. Like America didn't invent slavery, but what America did and what that time did was it created a very clear marker for how to tell if someone was likely owned versus someone that was like an indentured servant from Europe. And so um so race was kind of the the construct of how do we how do we mark people because we already want to dehumanize people to exploit them and make money. Um and now here's this new way we can do it because we're We've decided to bring people from this country where, or this continent where skin color is a very like easy recognizable marker. And so we'll go with that and then build off from there. Um, So yeah, you look back at how our country was started and how systems were, you know, you think about even what we're just talking about this election day that happened yesterday. Well, for the first, I'm not great at math right now, but for the first, what? 200 years of our 150 years like voting was not something that was afforded to all people in this country and obviously you know we had to like keep adding amendments to allow white women and then we're allowing okay we're allowing black men but not black like there's just so many um iterations of like trying to make right what was started off very wrong and it's really slow going and it's and it's ongoing the the themes from our history are still very present today and i think it's very important to see that thread that continuum throughout because um it helps you understand when you have a framework of our history it helps you understand why protecting things like the Voting Rights Act is so important because you understand what was happening to especially Black Americans in this country before they were protected, um, before they didn't have to take ridiculous tests or you know or be really like harassed or arrested for even trying to vote or register people to vote. So it just um, the narrative of race racism is such a through line in our country that it's almost um I think it's one that's been like shelved for a really long time especially in my background I grew up I was born in 1982 so I you know it was this was like the golden era of um of like focus on the family was kind of coming on the scene and it was really this like colorblind mentality of how like so, so we're not going to tell people like the, 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 the racialized narrative of our country's history. We're just going to like not talk about race at all. And I think for a lot of people, once you started poking at that, you realize like, oh my gosh, this affects everything. Like this isn't just, this isn't just one aspect of the American life. Like this is, this is, it's almost, it's like inescapable no matter what institution you're participating in, 
what like faith community you're participating in, where you live, where your kids go to school. Like it really does touch everything. I, I heard this great quote and I can't remember who to attribute it to, but they said, you know, racism isn't the shark in the ocean. Racism is the water itself. And I think that is the most accurate way I can describe American racism is it's like, we think it's going to be this like scare, you know, like this obvious predator thing with like the Jaws music playing underneath it. And it's, and it's not, it's, it's the water. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's in everything. So, and I have, I've never lived abroad. So like, I can't say how that necessarily compares, but I will just say that that is not the message that they tell you growing up in American school systems or in a white evangelical church. Like I was not learning that racism is the water. I was learning that racism, God didn't like racism, but we didn't even have, we didn't even have, I didn't even have language for that until I was in my twenties. Um, because that just wasn't, it was not what we talked about. And that was very much on purpose. Yeah. It's, uh, it can be almost its own version of having to re-educate yourself in some circles. And I think a lot of people are in that space right now. We do have so much being written in the last many years by including other voices, both black Americans who are so affected by this for so many generations, you know, carry the own, their, the trauma in their own bodies, according to the research we see from how trauma can be passed on for generations and how, um, you know, trying to figure out what happened to them and their own ancestors mm -hmm. and, how, and what that means for us going forward, how we can find, you know, a better way. Um, but it also um, means that even if your own if you're an, a white American, for example, and maybe like you mentioned, your family didn't own slaves per se, understanding the privilege that you still had um, all these generations later and, and still have um, because of how systems have worked for your family for many generations. I mean, just not having been redlined as a family is, is, ho is a whole different experience, you know, or um, I don't know. Yeah. I recently found out New York City's Central Park used to be a largely black neighborhood. And there's mm -hmm. a whole museum around what it would be like if it hadn't been destroyed and put in made into Central Park. You know, there's just some people think it's only in the mm -hmm. south in the United States. But there was there were terrible things that happened everywhere, even here in California. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it used to be Spain which colonized Mexico mm. and, you know, there's just things that happen with the missions that were brought in indigenous people. And, and there's just, you know, Japanese Americans, Chinese Americans, there's just so yeah. many things that went on. Um, in addition to the enslaved peoples brought over from Africa into, you know, the, a lot of the South. So. Completely. And you, yeah, you, you even look at the framework of the impact on the uh, like global oppression. Like I, I feel like it was, not that long ago that I learned that Hitler modeled, um, you know, like concentration camps and, 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 and even before that just modeled um, his anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish, you know, just the, the scapegoating of the Jewish people as a means to collect power. He based a lot of that of how black on how black Americans were treated in America. And so you see, and then you see, um, you just see nothing is really like new, <laughs> like it's all just like borrowed implementation of oppression and hatred and supremacy and blame. Um, but it's not, and so it manifests in, in, in the details are unique, but the symptoms and, you know, the, the, the ideology behind it is all very much caught from the same you know, from the same mindset. And I think that's important. Um, I think that's important because I think a lot of times when we start saying, uh, when we start introducing other oppression, I think it's very easy for people to almost want to be like turning it into the oppression Olympics and be like, okay, so let's just like cut to the chase. Did, like, was it harder for black? Is it harder for black people or is it harder for like yeah, like Japanese internment camps and they lost everything. And they, you know, 
or was it harder for indigenous people or you know what about anti-semitism and is on there you know that um there's a whole chapter in my book called white noise and it's based on i am a mom of two young kids and one of the first things that they often have you register for is a white noise machine because they're like listen you're gonna need this thing because you're gonna be like wanting to do dishes and your baby is gonna wake up and you need something to kind of you know drown you out and keep them asleep. And the, the language, I mean, it just like was very helpful because it was like, oh, white and noise. And that is what we have so often is we have white, like, yeah, like these thoughts that are very persuasive and, and that white people often swallow very easily. And those are things that are usually meant to not incite further curiosity or exploration or compassion or, or imagination or anything that would like wake you up and keep you excited. It's things that are supposed to like slow you down and get, make you sleepy and tired and just want to take a nap. Right. And I, I think and I know this wasn't like what you were doing or what you were saying, but I think in my conversations, especially when I was first kind of starting my anti-racism journey and trying to talk to white friends, that was so, I, I was hearing so much white noise in response. This like, mm. well, yeah, but what about the Holocaust? And yeah, well, my, you know, people, slavery has, you know, read the Bible. Slavery's always been around. It wasn't just black people mm. or what about this group or what about this group? And none of that excites the conversation. None, of, you know, it, 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 the comparison game is not what we're interested in when we're talking about oppression, because it's just gonna, I think it's helpful to recognize we're, it's just manifesting itself in different ways. And those ways matter because it affects real people and real lives and their lives and their you know, they matter. Um, but we don't need to be pitting them against each other, trying to decide who had it worse. I think that's, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a tactic that keeps people divided as opposed to saying, Hey, I've been oppressed in this way and you've been oppressed in this way. Let's stand together and fight that oppression together. Not because mine was worse or because I, you know, none of that but because oppression is bad <laughs> like it's just yeah. like can we, i mean i i wish i i could probably come up with a better jazzier way to say that but like yeah like oppression is not it's not it's not good for the oppressed and it's not good for the oppressors and so right. we don't want that we want something else and I wish I saw more of that. I wish I saw the ability for people. Um, and I will say, I do often see that in oppressed groups that I belong to. There is a, there is an understanding of you are not my competition. Other person who has experienced oppression, like we know what this feels like. Um, but we always have a choice, right? If our, who we're going to like align with, yeah. And we all have privileges in different ways. And so there's always ways we can be accessing that privilege and accessing those people maybe that are like more in positions of power. Um, but man, what a more exciting, beautiful, lovely world to live in if we said not, yeah, if, if we had that kind of philosophy of being able to see um, not just, not just commonality, but like a common, yeah, common, like shared pain so that we could experience shared and collective healing. I think that is something that we are in desperate need of. And I think, um, we're just seeing so much sickness and so much brokenness and, and a lot of our responses are just further furthering, you know, they're not, they're not helping us get better or get well or get healed. And, um, yeah. And I, 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 I want that, like, I want that for, I want that for the kids that I'm raising. I want that for myself. Um, I want that for 
communities that I care about. And yeah. 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 It's um, one of the things I observed um, and have observed being here in California. We have so many different, um, a long history of immigration um, and then mm-hmm. colonization and um in the recent immigration to just around tech, I live in Silicon Valley and, and there's just a a whole different, you just meet all different kinds of people, different cultures, foods, languages all the time. Um, And one of the things that I think that I observed, I was here, I'd been in the States just a short while when everything happened with George Floyd. And one of the things I noticed was, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I actually went to a protest with um, an Asian American uh, woman, her husband and her kids. And it was, you know, there's this scarcity mentality that I hear from a lot of people in California and from other parts mm-hmm. of the United States where um, it's almost like there's only one seat and everybody's fighting for it or there's only one limited yeah. amount of resources. So it's like, well, if you were um, from an ancestor had, came on a slave ship and was enslaved here in a forced labor camp, you know, that's sort of like that's the absolute worst situation. And it is probably, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, we can't, we can debate that, but I just feel like you know, indigenous lands being stolen is horrible, putting those kids in um, camps and, you know, slaughtering their people and wiping them out completely in some cases, um, pretending they don't even exist. Like all of it's just bad. Like why does one have yeah. to be worse? But at the same right. time, I think it was really encouraging to see, um, you know, I guess with um, what had happened in LA back in the nineties was some of the like Asian American population was sort of pit against the black American population as if they right. both have problems to fight together with. But I think that, um, you know, we're seeing some of that myth of the scarcity mentality broken down where it's like, this table is big enough. Like all of these voices Mm -hmm. can, can all have suffering and oppression and pain. And in in fact, if we band together, (laughs) we're stronger than if we fight each other for these, these situations. I'm actually preaching on Sunday in Oakland at a church that's, um, was started mm-hmm. by Japanese Americans a long time ago, mm-hmm. um, and it's still largely Asian American. A lot of Chinese Americans in the church, and they, after George Floyd, decided they wanted to focus much more on social justice, and um, particular around the mm-hmm. Black American community and how they could help. But it doesn't mean Japanese Americans weren't in internment camps, and those stories are still alive, and all that too. And then they're bringing me in as a white woman to preach on social justice <laughs> on Amos because they want to hear a lens of women and what it's like to fight for mm. rights for women as Christians. So like, it's just, I think it's a beautiful example that the, the seat, the yeah. table's large, even the LGBTQ community, like all of those letters, instead of being pit against each other, like who was mm. bullied worse in school. Um, I, I see it a lot among the trans mm. and detransitioning community. The It's like, it's okay to both have pain. It's okay to both bring your stories yeah. and we don't have to fight each other. So I love that you're bringing that up and that you talk about that in your book. I know that doing something is so important to you. So if somebody's sitting here and that's new for them, how would you help them kind of understand what you can do in terms of linking arms with people? Yeah. Oh, I love literally everything that you just said. And I've never um, made that connection with the like LGBTQ, like thinking about the importance of each of them being represented but it's not like a hierarchy, right? It's not like a pyramid where it's like, well, L is at the top and, you know, like, like, um, I, yeah, I, I think there's something, I think there's really something beautiful to learn in that of the like different facets of, um, of what belonging to that community looks like. And then the ability to handle diversity of experience, even, you know, even in, or, you know, varying layers of, um, of pain, of oppression, of legal obstacles. I mean, I think you can't have conversations like the ones we're having without, without understanding that like none of us, like we all have privilege and we all experience oppression and it's just, it's figuring out, um, it's figuring out how to like, I, I love what you just said about the scarcity mindset and I promise I'll get to your question in a minute, but I just, I think there's so much to, I remember the first time someone said to me, I feel like we can basically like summarize racism by talking about scarcity versus abundance mindset. Because if you do, if you have a scarcity mindset, you just think there's like eight pieces of the pie and I have to make sure that I have 
one of those pieces. And so I will do whatever it takes. I will steal, cheat, lie, dehumanize, you know, whatever, because there's only, there's a finite amount as opposed to there is enough for everybody. There is enough. Like even just saying it, I feel better. (laughs) I just, I just, I feel rooted in that. And I believe that like there is enough. Um, So I would say, I think a lot of people, a lot of white people who maybe had been raised similarly to me, or just even, even not, I, I don't think you needed to come from a colorblind 1980s focus on the family childhood to be, to be really rocked by 2020, to be rocked by the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Um, and so I do think there was an earnest, like, like lots of like, con- almost like mini conversions for a lot of people of way of saying, um, I once was blind, but now I see, like, I see it now. I see it now. I couldn't see- oh my gosh, I couldn't see it before. And I see it now. And that's so important. And that's so beautiful. Like to be able to grow in your ability to see what you once couldn't. And so I just, I think that's a really important step for so many people. Yeah. And I think I think what I, what I have come back to I started this work as a college student. And by the work, I just mean like figuring out my role as a white woman in the world who cares about racial justice. Like, what does that mean? And I started this work when I was 21 and I just turned 40. And so I, when I was watching the summer of 2020 and I was watching what really, what I believe were earnest moments for white people of waking up, the image that came to my mind was of a window that had just like been like blown wide open. Like it was like shut. It had been like, you know, like caution, like don't go here. And all of a sudden it was like wide open. I was like, oh my gosh. But that's not where the image stopped for me. The image was how long is this window going to stay open before it starts closing? Um, how long are people going to be interested in having conversations around defund the police and Black Lives Matter and reparations and, you know, just like equity, you know, just these words and ideas that were being shared for the first time. And as I started talking more with other people that I do this work with, there was definitely a deep sense of fear of what happens when that window closes. Like how, how much can we push through this window with this finite amount of time? And so I, I guess what I would say to someone who really did have like an awakening, who stopped listening to the white noise, who had one of these, like I once was blind, but now I see racial injustice and I see my own complicity, my own silence, my own upholding, whatever. Um, I feel like it's a lot of, um, what I keep coming back to is commitment. Like, I I think you need to figure out where you were. I'll have like a before, any convert, like, I don't think, I think there are very few white people that, that don't have a before moment. Like, I, I just, I think um, in some way, and that could be, you could have had that before moment when you were four years old and then five, you started seeing the world through a racial you know, like, but you do have that moment. And so I think it's important doing some interrogating of where were you, what was happening that kept you from seeing the world the way that you might be starting to see it, the way that you're starting to recognize injustice, the way that you are starting to get the sense that like, oh my gosh, racism is the water. It's not the shark. Like, where were you? changed because you don't have control necessarily of like where you're going and what you do next, but you do have control over reflecting where you've been and where you are now. And so I would encourage people before they sign up to, you know, do something bold and big and whatever, like to, to really spend some time doing some 
some reflection. Um, for me, like my big aha moment came on a trip called Sankofa, which is a Swahili word, which means to look back in order to move forward. And so that was so important for my journey. And what I was looking back on was, you know, the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade and um, the civil rights movement and, you know, all the things in, in America's history. Um, but as I've gotten older and, and even a lot of my book, it really starts out with me looking back to the family I was raised in early racialized experiences, like going back and understanding them so that I can repent from them and heal from them and move forward. Not always not living from a place of trying to atone for my past um, or, you know, kind of operating out of like, here's my bleeding scars. <laughs> like I just realized yeah. that, that there, you know, all this is like part of my story or part of our collective being. Um, so, but I'm here to help, but you're like bleeding on people. Like, no, like do some work of, of figuring, like this work will be here tomorrow. <laughs> like it will be here in five years. And so you can take a little bit of time and reflect so that you are rooted in a place that is um, that is the healthiest version as you kind of as begin and and it helps root you to your why like finding your why of this work I think is really important like I think there's so many people are interested in the like what should I do like I mean the the big question is the yeah. what what should I be doing I know the when is now like urgent I just figured this out I just see it oh my gosh like I'm fired up. So the when, well, okay. The when is always going to be here. Like the when will always be here, but you need to figure out your why so that when the when is here in 15 years, you're still anchored and rooted and showing up. And the people who are counting on you to show up, you're reliable for them. You know, like it's, um, it becomes bigger than just like a personal individual like mission, right? It becomes, yeah. oh, if I don't show up to this thing, like these people will um, not like be mad at me, but like, like we're doing this together because I think the longer you do this work too, it really does move out of the silo of you f- reading books by yourself or, you know, with a small group of people to like, yeah, you do begin to, take action and you do begin to link arms with other people and it becomes, it becomes easier to be committed because you're in partnership and relationship and that's easier to maintain. It's like having like a workout buddy. Like I will go to the gym if I know someone else is waiting for me there. I will not go if it's just my alarm and no one cares. Like, and that's just right. And I think the same type of mindset of the like, how do I stay committed in other areas of my life? How do I grow? Um, How do I stay humble? How do I? uh, Yeah, how do I um, infuse this into my family? Like, how are you doing that in other areas? I think sometimes with, with the issue of racial injustice, especially for white, we're like, oh my gosh, we have to like, totally reinvent the wheel. And I would argue, oh no, like you're already doing, you're already talking to your kids about things that you believe. You're already making choices with how you spend your money. You're already voting. You're already participating in a faith or community group. Like there are so many choices and things that we're doing that keep us towards like fulfilling a vision of how we want to engage in the world. And this gets to be like baked into that. It doesn't have to be like siloed over here. Um, or else I really don't think it will take root. Yeah. I don't think it's supposed to be shoved to the side. Yeah. Who I'm sure, um, you've learned from so many, I mean, I know you had a forward by Austin Channing Brown, which is uh, amazing. Um, who are the people that have taught you, um, who are experienced, I mean, you know, the, the, this kind of work, um, we always want to center the people that are most oppressed by the oppression, um, and so who have been your teachers um, that you would point us to as well? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, some of them 
like you can't find on the internet, but I will name them anyway, because right. they were really <laughs> you know, important to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I had professors in college. I had a professor of Africana studies um, named Dr. Sims and a professor of Africana studies named uh, Theodora I. Oat. And both of them from a, such a formative time in my life really helped me look at the world less from the like Eurocentric, white centric lens that I had been raised on and really introduced kind of like Afrocentricity and like what happens when you apply a different lens to reading the news or what happens, you know, it just um uh really yeah, really helping me uh not like feel bad about the way I saw the world, but offered me oh no, honey, like there's more than one, like there's more than one lens in which you can look through. And so that was vital. Austin Channing Brown, uh, if you have not read her book, I'm still here and I'm guessing you have. I have, Um, amazing. I would, Mm -hmm. yes, it's amazing. Um, So I met Austin when she was 18 and I was 20. We met um, on the Sankofa bus trip that I mentioned and really had like, like an instant connection. I had, um, I like, I literally, like, I couldn't, I would need like another hour to name all the names, but I would just say Austin is an incredible resource. Um, uh, my friend Marcy Alvis Walker, who she has an Instagram account, black coffee with white friends. She mm-hmm. is like a beautiful, she is a self-professed, like not anti-racist educator, but she is has a way of weaving history and theology and news and, uh, in just like a beautiful way. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, so many, I, I got to, through my relationship and friendship with Austin Channing Brown, we co-created and co-hosted a video web series together called the next question. And it's available YouTube, Vimeo, wherever. Um, you can go to our website, tnqshow.com. But we got to interview people like Nicole Hannah-Jones, who has, cho- I mean, t- like, I feel like I had like a third conversion when I, when I had a conversation with her. I mean, she is beyond, I mean, like Pulitzer Prize, New York Times um, journalist, who most famously now is known for her work with the 1619 Project. Um, but we actually interviewed her that summer right before it came out, before we even, you know, knew about that work. Um, and she, but she has such rich um, research and storytelling on the American education system. She is a, she herself is a product of being bust. She's from Iowa. And she, when she was, I think, starting, I think starting in elementary school, um, was part of the integration of American schools um, after Brown v. Board was, fi- you know, Brown v. Board happens, but then like it, schools are still uh, segregated. So one of the proposed solutions to that was like a forced busing system. And she just, yeah, she isn't, she is, yes, a, a deep well of knowledge and one of those literally just smartest people I've ever, <laughs> I've ever met. Um, I could literally, I could email you a list because I just, I, I know I'm leaving out like 50 people right now. Um, but I do think yeah. it is. That's, that's, that was a really important aspect to me writing this book as a white woman was really wanting people to understand that I'm not coming here with these discovering these things all right. on my own that right. I am. I almost like, because I'm a metaphor visual person, I almost kind of saw myself as like, oh, I just want to be like your on-ramp to like, here's all these like amazing like ideas and here's how I learned them from and here, you know, here's stories, but like always like on-ramp to like, and be like, okay, bye. Like, you know, have fun (laughs) on the highway with like all these people that are, (laughs) that are the ones that I actually want you to be on the journey with. But like, I think we all need to start somewhere and, um, and I think, yeah, but, but if we're, if yes, the, the goal of my work is not for people to stay with me 
Yeah. It is for is hopefully for them to be introduced to ideas and thinkers and activists that they then learn directly from, uh, because mm-hmm. those are the people I'm learning directly from. So yeah. thank no, you for even asking to, that question. Yeah, it's an incredible way to use your privilege. I mean, I certainly, um, I understand that as a as a white woman, I often get asked by people like. Um, why do you want to speak about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Kind of like, what do you know about that? And it's like, no, I, I know because, I mean, I do have the experience of being a woman and I do have the experience of being a minority overseas most of my life, but that's not why. It's because I want to promote the voices of those who maybe you're not going to interact with them, but you know me and we're at this party together, but let me take you over here into this other room and introduce you over there. <laughs> totally. Well, and I think that's such a good point of the like, of the belonging to like a larger collective, right. Of saying like this work, I mean, this is why the title of my book is not like do everything, <laughs> right. And like, do, you know, be everything for everybody. Like that's right. not what we, that's like impossible. It's like, that's not even lofty. That's just like, that's, that's bonkers. Like why that's not, no one thinks they can be everything. Um, but I think too often white people think I've not, I, 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 who am I to do such and such? And, and, and I, what I hope that people understand is the, like, we have spheres of influence wherever we are. And to your point, like, if you're looking around a room and you're like, nobody is talking about this thing, but I'm somebody and I can talk. And I don't have to talk the whole time. And the goal isn't for me to like, you know, but like I can say something to just introduce an idea or, you know, change the flow of this conversation or to shut, shut something down that is violating, you know, values or that is like, that is racist or that has like inklings of racism. Even I think that's often, um, that's often a really like, Oh, wait, was that like racist or wasn't? Oh, should I like say, Oh gosh. It's like, no, like just do something like every day. Like it doesn't have to be huge. I mean, this is stuff I like literally say to myself all the time because the work is really overwhelming. But if we, if we say, oh, well, let's like let Austin take care of all of it. Well, Austin's not at my like school (laughs) PTA meeting. Right. (laughs) Right. And she's not at like this meeting that I'm in with coworkers or she's not, you know, Um, so I think it's that tension of the, of course, I'm not like the only voice on this, Yeah. but I am a voice. Yeah. And so how do I use mine to like either amplify if that voice that I want everyone to be listening to is present or how do I, you know, amplify in a different way by, by sharing the themes and the heart and the message of what that messenger is ultimately trying to say. Um, but yeah, I think just like completely letting ourselves off the hook because we are not, we wish was in the conversation or, you know, we're not the most ideal candidate is like, well, what else is new? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, um, you know, I love your posture. We just have to. Yeah. It's so good. And it's, I mean, it definitely, it is the question. I think it's the, it's the elephant in the room. Like, why is a white woman doing this? I face that too. Um, and I, I think that you make a good case as to why we are all needed in this work, uh, but it's how we do the work mm-hmm. as white people that's also, you know, a way that we center those who are most um, affected by the oppression and their voices. And I think that you're doing that really well. And I'm just mm-hmm. congratulations on that and on this book. I, I have it right here. It's it's so good. I'm so glad Aww. you wrote it. And <laughs> um, I, I know I have mine wrong. right here too. Okay. <laughs> I do Just want you to case. stick around for our sometimes Patreon Sometimes people supporters. are like, oh, yes, yes. But sometimes people are like, so on 99, you say, and I'm like, what do I say on 99? What am I like? Where? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm like I don't remember. <laughs> well, I want you to stick around, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about that bus ride on our um, Patreon uh, little segment here at the end. But thank you for this interview. And uh, how can people find you and your book? Yeah. So uh, my website is jennyboothpotter.com spelled J-E-N-N-Y and then Booth Potter, like you would think. I'm on Instagram at Jenny, the letter B, Potter. Um, Those are the two places that I hang out the most. I'm trying to figure out what to do about Twitter these days. But um, 
I don't like Facebook. So, so Instagram is my jam. Um, come hang out with me over there. It'd be great. Great. We'll link you in the show notes. Thanks for being with us, Jenny. It's been great to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Lori. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Bye. What a challenging and sobering conversation with Jenny Booth Potter. Um, she does discuss more in detail on our Patreon where we get to talk with her about a question surrounding, you know, more deeply that, that bus ride that she took with fellow college students, including where she first really interacts with Austin Channing Brown. And I know many of you know and love her and what she has been writing about for years. And uh, so check out the Patreon with her. That's going to be released to all of our Patreon supporters as an exclusive interview. But I do want to just point each of you listening today to her book about how doing nothing is no longer an option for her and no longer really an option for any of us when we completely understand really what's at stake. So Jenny's book really walks in, into that declaration that she made to her peers that was more than just the seven words that she uttered on a bus. It was a vow. It was a lifetime commitment for her to seek racial justice and to use her privilege and her, her position to help others. And um, she her book is full of humility. It's full of just candor. It's full of her sharing just her imperfect but relentless journey of growing an awareness around racism as somebody who began to reckon with her own white privilege and, you know, didn't realize until she was an adult really kind of more of what that was about and that she could have grown up in the same area with very different perspective and experience with walking into the same places that her black friends were walking into. And so she really takes us on a deep dive there. And I really do recommend her book. She has, um, just such a great way of not not only putting her own journey in there with great vulnerability, um, stepping into some of the shame that we don't talk about, stepping into that personal nature of it for herself, and some practical action steps of what we can do. Her book's about doing, <laughs> but it's also full of grace and it's full of compassion, self-compassion for herself and compassion for all of us to do this journey imperfectly and to learn and grow together to make a difference together, which is what we're all about here. So I do recommend that you check out her book, Doing Nothing is No Longer an Option. And just to follow her and her writing and then uh, reach out to her. Uh, follow her on her next question series, the web series about expanding our imagination for racial justice. She's also a founding partner of Herself Media, and that organization is aiming to create stories to empower and bring joy to black women. She's doing some great stuff there in Chicago. So check out all of her stuff. She's on Twitter as long as that lasts. <laughs> and, um, and she's continuing to write and speak and do good in the world. So join her, join all of us here on the Award of Difference podcast as we continue to try to make a difference together. And for those of you who are eating turkey this week or vegetables, or those of you who are celebrating what we call in the United States Thanksgiving, or if you're taking a moment to just remember some of the hard things that have happened that surround Thanksgiving, um, or if your take on it is to just remember that it was indigenous peoples here in North America that gave a meal to colonizers who showed up, and just understanding the narrative more deeply, I think is something I would encourage any of us to do. When we lived in Singapore and our kids were little, we ordered a book for kids that kind of revisited what was going on in those early years and trying to help them understand that the story isn't something we should whitewash, but there's good and there's bad and there's nuance in that story. And so, um, yeah, I, it, just a quick Google search would help you know a little more if you've not dug into that before in your, um, in your U.S. citizen. I do encourage it. And there's a lot of resources around the hashtag Indigenous Peoples Day that we kind of had just recently celebrated last month and April, October 12th, um, and a lot more resources coming out here in the United States. I recently bought the First Nations version of the New Testament, which is really exciting to read, and uh, I, there's just more resources coming out from indigenous theologians here in North America, both in Canada and in the United States, some of our First Nations friends that are really writing and digging into some of the history and, and helping me see in new ways. And so, yeah, maybe just during your Thanksgiving holiday and um, 
if you're tired of turkey and football, <laughs> check that out. The the First Nations New Testament is it's given a, a different lens, calling God creator and just re kind of connecting us with the land in ways that we really should have stayed connected with all along and understanding deeper that healing our relationships with other human beings, our relationship with God and our relationship with the land is sort of all intertwined and in our relationship with ourselves, just the embodiment of all of that. There's a lot that the first nations version of the new Testament brings out and some of the indigenous theologians are helping us see in a clearer way. So yeah, I encourage you to do that. If you have some time over your Thanksgiving break and in the meantime, I'd love to hear about it. So check us out on our Facebook group. We'd love to have you join there and interact with our episodes We continue to have a little bit of issue with our Facebook page right now. There's all kinds of stuff going on with layoffs here in Silicon Valley with Facebook. Obviously, Twitter and Amazon is laying people off. And so if you're one of the people that has recently been downsized, laid off, lost your job during this holiday time, um, let us know. We'd love to network with you. If we have people in the podcast community that are hiring right now, then I'd love to connect you to each other. And, uh, you know, definitely we, we would love to pray for you but also our our podcast this week (laughs) is with a book called doing nothing is no longer an option so in addition to praying we would actually like to do something and and help add to our thoughts and prayers resources to help you network and if people know about jobs to connect you with each other our facebook group would definitely be a place for that or in our instagram comments feel free to let us know if you've recently been laid off and are looking for work and um, if we can help you in any way in our podcast community to to find a remote job somewhere in the world, maybe connected across countries. That's kind of, that's a possibility these days and thank God for that. So yeah, hang in there. And if you have recently been laid off, I just want to say I'm really heartbroken that that happened to you around this time with the holidays coming up. We realized that inflation is a, is an issue and things, hard decisions are having to be made. So, um, yeah, that's, it's difficult to walk through, but uh, my experience has been sometimes just taking in a deep breath a couple of times, three times, in through our nose, out through our mouth, just like the Navy SEALs do, taking a pause and a breather just to practice some self-compassion, bring people around you that will remind you of who you are. And uh, yeah, hopefully sometime soon you'll find that next wonderful thing where you can contribute and be helpful. And in the meantime, all of you in the podcast community that are listening if you're hiring let us know because we love to connect you with people who are making a difference too in the meantime thank you for listening thank you for the great work you're doing wherever you are around the world and i hope you get a little bit of rest over the next few days whether you're american or not Uh, thanksgiving can be a time even if you're not celebrating it to just be reminded we can be thankful for the air that we breathe and the life that we live and those loved ones around us if we're fortunate enough to have them nearby. In the meantime, know that I care for you as you listen, and I care for the work that you're doing, and I would love to hear more about how that's working out wherever you are in the world because I know so many of you are making a difference, and I really enjoy hearing about it, so let me know. And in the meantime, take care, take a deep breath, get some rest, and we'll talk again next week. As we're finishing this episode, if you're thinking, I really wish I could learn more or go a little bit deeper. Well, that's what our Difference Maker community is for. I would love to welcome you in to join the rest of us there. Once again, um, it's only $5 a month to join the price of a latte at your local coffee shop. You can join at our changers tier. Difference Makers is a community that really means so much to me. It's very special because each time I have a guest on the show, I record something um, outside of what we give to just the regular podcast audience where we go a little bit deeper and then I post those video episodes in this community and we can discuss them. But also at the very uh, beginning tier, which is our changers tier of this community, you'll get exclusive voting power and help pick podcast topics that give us you know, more of what we want from your perspective. You'll have access to exclusive um, 30 plus mini-sodes that aren't out there for the general public. And you'll get every month an exclusive monthly bonus mini-sode. At our Groundbreakers level, which is $10 a month, you can join and get all of that, but also priority access to submit questions to the podcast. And you'll get an additional two exclusive monthly bonus mini-sodes. 
And at our Trailblazers tier, which is $15 a month, the price of three lattes a month, um, you can get all of that plus also three exclusive monthly bonus minisodes um, and a patron shout out. So I would love for you to join us at any of those tiers. Um, it'll help you come into this community, be in the midst of all of us, other difference makers. And we'd love to hear your perspective. I certainly would. It's a place to engage more with me and the audience around what you like, what you're resonating with. And once again, go deeper with each of our guests. So please join us in this membership community. I would love to hear your perspective and love to share this extra content with you. So show up at patreon.com slash a world of difference. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.